Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and t shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hello, you're very welcome to this week's podcast. The Great Storyteller. I'm Morris O'Keefe and over the years I've crisscrossed the country recording many great stories and this is an amazing skill in with people who can tell a story and it has been one of my great joys to discover a good storyteller who could tell <laughs> an amazing story so i've recorded many of these stories over 30 years and now i am selecting a number of those stories for this week's podcast. So let's get started. The late Joe Clinton, who lived in Margaretstown in Scaries, North County, Dublin, had this story to tell. Actually, I have a little short story here. It kind of encapsulates what it was like when I was a young lad growing up and the, and the things we got up to. So, Maris, with, with, yeah. with your permission... I'm yes. gonna I'm gonna read this out. Actually, I read this little short story. It's quite it's quite an amusing little piece, and uh, but um, I I actually wrote it and I have it written on it here. It says it's a short story of twelve hundred and fifty words, February the first two thousand and two, uh, and as I said earlier on, it, it 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 deals with the area that we live in here. Now the place where I was born and still live in North County Dublin is sandwiched between two large estates. We've Ardgill and Domain and we've Milverton Domain. Now, when I was growing up in the 1950s, both were no-go areas. Trespassing was strictly forbidden. But that did not prevent us local desperados going on raiding missions, especially at fruit-picking time. One of the estates, Milverton Domain, was great for a hit. Us volunteers would assemble at the nearby St. Mavie graveyard. The attack would be planned in true military style. Now, Larry C. was one of the big lads and he usually took charge of the unit. I won't identify him any further because he's still around and he'd be real sore. We had a strange relationship with it at the time. I can't explain it. We knew him as Bowley. That was a nickname. But he hated to be called that to his face. I had a nickname myself and I didn't like it either. A lad called him Bowley once. He gave him such a wallop. I felt sorry for him, but he deserved it. Imagine calling him a name like that. Now, the choice of commander was not a random one. Larry C. proved himself a leader and was a veteran of some of the most vicious cowboy and Indian fights seen in the area. He was invincible. I once crept up on him and I shot him in the back all to no avail. He dismissed my efforts contemptuously and walked away. 
I thought afterwards he must have been wearing a bulletproof jacket that I once saw Joel McCree wearing in a film I saw in 1951. Now, a fair bit of planning usually went into the operation if it was to be successful. The orchard at Milford and Domain was well protected because it was within the wall to garden. Now, the wall was 10 feet tall and the garden about an acre and a half in size and had only one entrance. Sunday was usually chosen for the raid because that was the day that the family went off either for a drive or for a walk through the farm accompanied by their two dogs. Mouth shut. The mission was on. Bowley was a great commander. Meticulous planner all his life. A meticulous planner. Read a lot. Mostly war books. He liked Hannibal. I won't saw him with a book on Napoleon. But some of the lads said he liked Hitler most of all. When Bowley gave the command everyone fell in. Carefully and silently we made our way towards our goal. He was a tough taskmaster, cautious. He would never sacrifice the safety of the unit. If he didn't see the family going off, he would command some of us lads to go up to the front door and bang on it. It was dangerous, real danger. I've never experienced fear like it before or since. You know, to be called a yellow belly wasn't nice. You know... It was not unknown for a lad on a raiding mission to have to change his underpants and take an early bat. Some lads left the raid early and returned home in disgrace for reasons just mentioned. I know, because it happened to me twice. When the commander was sure that the coast was clear, he ordered that we approach the garden, lads ducking for cover from tree to tree in true military style. The wall had to be scaled somehow. The order to go over the top wasn't given until he was sure that there was no one in the garden. Two volunteers were ordered to go on a scouting mission. Climbing an adjacent tree did this. There was only one immediately beside the wall. Up they went and sneaked along the top down onto the roof of the tool shed and they were in. You know, it is a great honour for young soldiers to be selected for a reconnoitering assignment like that. He selected his men, more or less in seniority. I was never selected. Thank God, the tension. What tension, what indescribable terror. On a given signal, the order was given to go over the top. After five minutes, we heard a sharp whistling sound. We went and were all safely inside in a couple of minutes. What delights. There were apples of every shape, size and colour, fruits of every description, Grapes and damsons and pears and plums. The garden was famous. The family exhibited their projects at all the local horticultural shows and took great pride in winning. To be fair to Bowley, he would not tolerate unwanted damage. He only let you take whatever you were going to eat. He was fair like that. He was very strict and indisciplined, though. It was, it was when we were on what appeared to be a very well-planned and successful raid, that the first of the incidents I mentioned earlier, an accident of a personal nature, happened to myself. Christ, didn't we hear the dogs barking nearby. Bowley shouted to ground. Everyone dived for cover. Soldiers disappeared everywhere. 
one hid under an upturned wheelbarrow, several locked themselves in the tool shed, and one lad jumped into a barrel quarter full of water. In ten minutes there was silence, except for the approaching dark, the barking and it getting louder. Now you don't have to have any great imagination to know what would have happened if they caught you in the garden. What with those dogs and the ten-foot-high walls? Bowley said the dogs were vicious. He used to say that he once saw one of them kill a neighbour's dog in a frenzied attack. He said the dog was in bits when he saw it afterwards. The family were like that. If they thought there was someone in the garden, they'd let the dogs in. They were bad pills. They played dirty. We were gunners, I taught to myself. I broke ranks. I must have panicked. I scaled the wall somehow. I was in breach of orders and I knew it. I ran home in utter terror and disgrace. Filled the bat quickly. Destroyed the evidence. The offending article of clothing. The following Sunday, I was court-martialed. I was found guilty of endangering the unit and was suspended from future missions for a month. I think I got off light. Bowley took my age into account. Of such things, however, men are made and stride. I'd nightmares about it for years afterwards. The late Maisie Cooper O'Brien lived in Limerick City. She grew up in Ballyroe House, now a hotel, just outside Tralee and County Kerry. Would you like me to tell you about a time the house was raided? Oh, yes, indeed. Please. Would you like that? Yes, Maisie. Well, I'll tell you. Mm. Um, uh, unfortunately, I missed it because we children slept in the nursery. And uh, how many of us were there at that time? Uh, three of us. I don't, I don't think my younger sister was born then. But anyway, um, they, there was a sort of... We had a maid, at the, everyone had maids in those days, and we had a maid at that time, and unfortunately she was doing a line with a free stater. How long is it since you heard that word? <laughs> anyway... Yeah. Um, she was doing a line with him. Now, could she have spilled the beans? Sure, who knows? But someone anyway told them that the irregulars were sleeping in our basement. Now, Valley Row was a two, was um, a house with a, a, a huge basement, and um, the, the the gardener fellow Pat was to live down there. But anyway. He shared his room apparently with several irregulars who used it as a safe house. But the free staters got to know and they raided the house. But somehow or another, someone got word to the lads and they flew up the hill to Callahan's, a farm at the top of the hill, still there. Our house was built halfway up a hill. So anyway... um, the, the 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 raid went on and they found nothing, but uh, the officer said to my father, Mister O'Brien, he said, 
It isn't so long since they were here. Oh, well, said my father, the children are in that room, so don't go in to wake them, please. And they didn't, unfortunately. Wasn't I very mad next day when I discovered all this excitement had taken place and I didn't see anything of it. But I must tell you the aftermath, because the aftermath was extremely sad. Uh, Next morning, I was up in the farmyard with my father. Farmyard was a good distance from the house. And Mr. Callaghan, we called him Mr. Mr. Callaghan, always Mr.'s in those days. There was no day for that you wouldn't be calling them John or Jim. But anyway, Mr. Callaghan came down. I can see him this minute. I'm talking, I suppose, of 60 years ago. More, of course, more. Uh, Anyway, he was there in the yard, tears pouring down his face. He wore a hard bowler hat and an open shirt with a black um, jacket over it. And he said, boss, my father was boss to all and sundry. Boss, he said, they've taken them all. They've taken my sons, my three sons. They took them away into Tralee Barracks. My goodness, I'd never seen anyone cry except the baby. And I had to see a man with tears pouring down. And he could hardly talk. He was sobbing so much. So my father was a man of slight influence in those days, I suppose. He he knew this one, he knew that one and the other. I'll go in, he said, and I'll I'll do what I can. So he went in. Presumably, I'm only imagining this now, or I'm only um, I, I'm only thinking this is what he did, because next day, next day, Mike, the youngest Callahan, a young, a really young fellow now came out. I forgot to tell you, by the way, that when they went up the hill, which they did straight away from our house, the free staters poisoned the dogs. The Callaghans had marvellous sheep dogs. They poisoned the dogs. And all the lads were up in the loft. Every farmhouse in those days had a loft where people slept. And all the lads were up there, I don't know how many, but the three sons were taken anyway. And um, Mike came back and he got him back. And after a while, he got Jim back. I was mad about Jim in those days. And, um, uh, but Mossy died. Mossy died. I think he died in prison. And Jim never recovered from the imprisonment. And he can't have been that long imprisoned. But I know he got leukemia and he also died. So there you are, a whole family, you White know, does, yeah. and one little slice of, of from a child's point of view, of what the troubles, the troubles with a capital T meant, you know, for people who lived in the midst of them, as we did in Kerry. The late Robin O'Connell from Meeligan County Clare was one of the great raconteurs that I came across in the 30 years that I've been recording oral history. I played from 1953 till 1986. Totally without missing a match now. 
Normally, league team ever went out, even if it was a challenge or a tournament or anything. And I was, I was 26 years captain of the team. If we often had to import a few players now, now and only again if we were meeting crowds from the West. And I, I remember in 1957, didn't we take up five of, of five of the Hungarians that were here in Akhnishin camp in Milik? You all remember that? Yeah, yeah? And the same day, Don Ref, now he wasn't in trying to give us anything, and he gave a penalty against Milik. And the Hungarians started acting among themselves, you see. It was all in Hungarian. <laughs> and the referee said to me, if I had the saying, well, he's after. But they're after saying now that if Milik don't win today, that they're going to kill you. <laughs> and next thing, didn't he give a free out? Isn't that right? 1957. <laughs> and I got a belt of a holly one day above in and we played football. There was an, an old scumizel on, you see, and yeah. we were all trying to face and this, this lad ran in. He was about 17 years of age and he had me a belt of a holly. And he ran out the back of the goal. The referee knew there'd be trouble, and he told us, "The minute the minute the row starts now, I'm going over there and I'm going to sit down the sideline. And when you have a new fight, I started up again. But the match started at three o'clock, and, and he stopped it at six for the St. Angeles <laughs> for still on. <laughs> and Kildaima, Ballystine. Well, he's staying around 1960. It, it, it was suspended for five years. And I brought f- five of them for the player, for me, while well, they were suspended. And I started, uh, I, I started a, a women's football team in Mealy in 1987. We won five championships in a row. But we went up one night to a, to a juvenile holiday match. The same night, no, I, I, I just don't claim you see. And uh, the was big armless, but anywhere we went in and he got a flake and a few things, and there was five of the Melee team that won the Junior Championship the, the day before the club Brahmin and suspended him and banned me for life. A very good friend of Robin O'Connell's and his neighbour, living in Meeligan County Clare, was the late Martin McMahon, and he told me a story about the time he emigrated. I went to England in 1953. As a young lad, I 21 or 2 years of age. My father sent us into Limerick with a counter bowl of a Wednesday morning, myself and the neighbour young fella, who was one age. But we went into Limerick with the counter bowl up the shores, and we had one bicycle between the two of us. And we were cycling over, the, coming back home about 11 o'clock, when we met a friend of ours who was going to England the same day, the great hurler too he was, John Cranston and his father and a neighbour. And he said, come on, see, we'll have a drink before I go into the Bedford Hotel. When money was scarce, I had sixpence that time, the man was with me, I had nothing. So, so in the end, anyway, your man's father called for five points to Guinness. That was about 11 o'clock and your man, the father called five more and the man called five more and I knew the bar made anyway, she gave me a couple of points until Saturday night and the book. So I was singing Guru at one o'clock in the day. All going well. And then about two o'clock anyway, I said to me, man, Jesus, your man will go and think this. is I went, Jesus, I know, we'll go with him, says I. And no one at home, and my father. And he had coached him in Kennedy. 
Yeah, they said, you're not going to know how we get the money. They said, I will be three shots. They said, we might get a few bob, bob, bob. We hit for shots, and anyway, we were steamed up this time. <coughs> and we went in and we looked for the manager about two o'clock. And we came out, the manager came out and he says, what's your problem? He says, I am short the money to take home feed stuff for the cattle and things and all. And he says, how much do you want? And he says, give me 30, 35 pounds or so. To lot money that time. And, and with the rubber boots now that you turn down, you know, yes. the rubber boots and then shook with the students. <coughs> May I coach it? We hit for the station, the tour was steamed up and we singing. And there was above the station, and that time there was an apple like one thing, and that time they were crying and choking, going by to one another, and we were singing at the top of our voice. <laughs> 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 and when we left down anyway, and we had to change and totally the junction. And yeah, we were like two travellers now, hard looking tickets, you see. The rubber boots turned down and all. But he got this nice girl in my shed, about two or three big cases. She was going to England to a wedding. She was from Tulla. I said to her, I carried him cases, so we got to ship her plate, she, she, to the gentleman. And yeah. the next thing we went into the boat and we rung up inside in the bar, inside in the boat, we thought it was a pub we were in. <laughs> we sang away again. And the next thing we were told, after three or four hours, to get off of the boat. And I said, John Manby, Christ, as I, we're in England, so we saw no water. <laughs> and we went from there, then on to Houston Station in the morning. And your girl still stayed with us, I never forget. She stayed with us the whole time. And I never forget, there was three of us in it. We went into the carriage in the train, and we were singing again. Do you know what we'll do now, she never forget. We'll say the rosary. She says, we thought it was the last thing in the world, say the rosary. We, 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 she gave it up, we answered it. On the way down, halfway down to Houston. Anyway, we went up. And this chap's brother, like he knew, he was expecting him, but they weren't expecting us around with her rubber boots and the boots turned down, and, you know. Mm-hmm. But anyway, he got his internal routing house in Camden Town. It was a rough place now, where all the winers was, you know. You got to be there in the night and pretty shooting. You got a breakfast in one and sixpence in the morning. But it was in the first morning, it was up at happy six when I realised what it was after doing it. And I'm always away from home and all money in my pocket. And she says, I've had a map that don't to myself at all. Huh? I got up and he was down around walking around in this scotch block. He says, do you want a job? He says to me, I do, says I, because it is there, I know money. He's going to kitchen gardens, opening in the store, something like in the store, wrecking the garden, yeah. tipping around, 30 shillings for the day, paid every evening, kind job. We were there for a day or two and he went, we got a job at Murphy, the Kelly man, out in Luton Town, outside Luton Town, from Underman in the building. We know about this day, no money. We went into this old hair barn and he went outside the job in the night time and there was a good lot of bales and we opened them up, scattered them up and made a nice little bit for us and we stuck it out there for two weeks, come down in the morning and breakfast and we got us up at here about 10 o'clock. It was the best college I ever went to. There was always a great wealth of storytelling and writing in North Kerry and Gabriel Fitzmaurice is one of those. And here he tells us about his most favourite place in the whole world and one of the great storytellers who also came from the same parish, Paddy Drury. Yeah, we're in it. Um, I suppose the first thing to be said is that this is Nakanur. Nakanur is Kanukanur, which means the hill of the yew tree. Yew trees have been associated always with burying places. And um, we're in this, and uh, I suppose the most famous person that's buried in here is just behind us, Paddy Drury. He was buried in, or He died on the 17th of March, 1945. Paddy was a local poet. He was also a servant boy awful to him. You know, you could be 70 years of age and you still wouldn't be a servant man. 
there'd be a servant boy and there was always a cave and there was a kind of a, a disdain that are looking down on these servant people um like the spalt being fine of old you know mm-hmm. um paddy of course bec- through his wit was not uh, bowed down or in any way upset by maybe his the perception that some strong farmers would have had of him uh, there's a famous story told that he was um being fed one day with the other servant boys they wouldn't of course eat with the the farming people but they were being fed one day and they were being given bacon which was tough to say the least and Paddy just smiled and said to the lady who was serving he said may the lord above look down with love have pity on us four and give us mate that we can eat and take away the boar uh, there's also yes. more stories told about Paddy uh, and Knockinure Paddy loved Knockinure he was a uh, he was from Knockinure and from Knockinure stock they were evicted actually from the bog lane uh, uh, sorry they, they were evicted from I think maybe evicted from um, some people once said from part of the lands that went to make up the great estate but anyway be that as it may I'm not so sure of the history there um, they came to live in the bog lane and Paddy and his brothers went around in service that's what they called it when you went out to hire yourself and uh, one day the story goes, but I want to dwell on this a small bit. There's a famous verse attributed to Paddy Drury about Nakanur and how he kind of cursed it, but I don't think he did. But anyway, the verse goes as follows. Nakanur, both main and poor, has a church without a steeple. And bitches and whores looking out half doors, criticising decent people. Now the story there was that Paddy was hung over one day coming down to Nakanur. And that he said this. Interesting, of course, as I, as I pointed out, the church that has no steeple, the modern church, the 1965 church that never steeple right, either. But anyway, uh, Paddy Drury, always, the likelihood is he never said that because he loved knocking your too much. He attributed it to a, a reporter called John O'Sullivan from the Stole, who uh, may have transposed a rhyme about Ratnure in, in Leinster to knock in your because it would have rhymed Ratnure and knock in your. And the, the story goes uh, that Paddy was so upset with uh, the suspect who attributed the, the rhyme, the cursing rhyme to him, that he met him in the stall one day and said, in this old town there is a clown, he'd set his soul for Porter. Oh, Sullivan John, he is the man, the dirty man reporter. <laughs> so, uh, it, yeah, you know, that's the story. Dan Keane, by the way, made another verse, uh, just to, to bless Nakanur after that. Nakanur, both rich and poor, though our church may have no steeple, yet every sod was blessed by God and likewise other people. <laughs> so, you know, it's a nice story. And, uh, yeah. you know, um, Paddy is here, God rest him, and he was a great man. Worked in hard times. He was a shaniki, a storyteller. He was a storyteller, yeah, yeah he was. And for the final story, told by the late Eamon Kelly, is indeed a classic, The Looking Glass. Mm. And those early stories, now yeah. I'm going to try and wreck your brains. Yeah. Do you remember telling a story called The Looking Glass? Oh, I did. That was, that was, that was a story I heard first, and um, I told it, and then I, I didn't, I, didn't uh, I hadn't the end of it. And I was I met somebody from Dingle one day and and, and he he told me the, the end the end of the story which was rounded it off, and there were many of the stories had to do with situations like that, uh, uh, a new invention something that people didn't see before because uh, you know I think it could could be invented because there was no radio television or no newspapers, and <clears throat> the people didn't actually see see the thing until it was there in front of them. Looking Glass is quite an old story. It goes it goes back to to, to China, for, for, for instance. Yeah. And um, it goes something like um, uh, uh, the, 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 the goes to something. <laughs> if, I, if I if I can think of it, I can think of it all right. 
Um, the women are always fascinated by the looking glass, and the men too, for they're often enough in front of it. Well, the looking glass was invented, and there was this man, he was dull of the fact, he was living in an out-of-the-way place, and he availed himself of an excursion to go into town, and he went down the main street, and he went into a shop, where he saw a heap of little shiny things up on the counter, small little oblongs, no bigger than a small fag box, and he took up one of these shiny things, and he put it in front of his face, and he said, Will you look at that? A picture of my father, wherever they got it. And uh, turning to the girl inside the counter, he said, What are these going for? And she told him, it was only a trifle. So he bought the looking glass, and he put it in his pocket, and every now and again he'd take it out to admire what he thought was the pictures of his father, a man he had great respect for, and who was dead with long. But he was always very careful not to let the wife see him, for indeed the women don't have the same respect for the father-in-law. Oh, which of them have? But very little will escape the women, we know that. And it happened this day that uh, the, 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 he was sitting by the fire and there was a hillebohirk, something went wrong. She used to see him going to the pocket and taking out something and looking at it and she was wondering greatly what it was. But he was called out because the neighbor's chimney went on fire and when he was going out he put the mirror into his inside pocket, the looking glass. And when he was gone she went over to the pocket and she took it out and she took out the looking glass and she put it in front of her face. And she looked into it, and when she saw who was staring out of her, she said, Who's this old hairpin? And indeed, wherever he met her, she's no great shakes. <laughs> I tell you, you now, if that's the lady that's attracting him into town excursions, I'll soon put a stop to his gallop. So she put the looking glass back into his pocket, and she geared herself for battle. And we all know what women can be in a situation like that. The man came back after doing the good turn from the neighbor, and she approached him. <coughs> Such a thing, she said, what are you doing with a picture of this other Dolly Varden inside in your pocket? He said, that was no Dolly Varden. He said, that was a picture of his father. He thought that he might as well admit what it was now. A picture of your father, she said, with his skirt on him and a blouse and his hair in a bun. Oh, she said, you'll hear more about this. <coughs> Put on her hat and bonnet and go over to the presbytery. That was the court of appeal at the time. Right. <coughs> so... Father John could nearly, could nearly knock him down with a feather when he, when he heard what she had to say. And he knew her husband well, a very nice, pious, devout man. God help you, Red Father, she said, he has me fooled up to the ball of my eye. And what's more, he has the picture of another woman inside in his pocket, letting on it is his father. Oh, that wouldn't do at all, the parish priest. That would be a bad headline to be giving the community. He went back to the house and lifting the latch coming into the house, the parish priest said, Here now, my good man, one woman is enough for anyone. Too many fathers, says the husband. He says, Give me out the picture of the other woman who doesn't say in your pocket. Well, the poor man, he was wishing for a hole to come on the floor. The parish priest inside in the house talking to him. So he went over to the pocket and he took out the mirror out of the pocket, the looking glass, and he gave it to the parish priest. And the parish priest put the looking glass up in front of his face and he looked into it. And when he saw who was staring out at him, he said, Well, no word of a lie, he said, but you're a right pair of Amazons. Isn't that the parish priest that was here before me? Well, we've come to the end of this week's podcast, The Great Storyteller. And if you enjoyed listening to those stories and you'd like to hear more, you can visit our website at irishlifeandlore.com. I'm Morris O'Keefe and I look forward to bringing you more stories in the future. 
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.